Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Invest in your postdoc transformation. Welcome to the weekly show for scientists leaping into business. In every episode, we are happy to recommend employers of choice for you. For your career transition, we offer customized career transition e-courses and memberships also at graduate schools all over the world. Maybe yours too. And if your university isn't yet our customer, enroll in your free email course for career transition made simple as linked in the show notes. I'm your host, Professor Dr. Anna Sui Winkles, and let's build your postdoc transformation with this episode. What's the future of work for new PhD holders in business? Well, I think this is such an important question, and I think that it couldn't be more exciting and open than nowadays. Okay, so as a professor of industrial and occupational psychology, every year I revisit this topic for my bachelor and also my master's students because that's inherent of their own expertise, right? So most of my students become HR specialists, HR leaders, something like that. And um, from my point of view, it's it's always something like I've been doing this kind of topic since 2014. So my predictions back then have all come true. And these were not just my predictions. I derived them from all my research, from my business expertise, and ex- especially from my IT So right now, at the time of the recording, we're still in quarter one of 2023. And that means that, you know, we've got, is it the third year of the pandemic, endemic? And so for some reason, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but the people I see are exhausted. Work has changed them because Corona has changed the way of working. And we have been, you know, brutally trying to cope. But essentially, it's a human energy crisis. And that's the business side. I can already see you nodding that also in your PhD, if you have started your PhD during the crisis or before and still are ongoing with the PhD, then you would, I would always say that this is not a normal PhD, right? So all of us who did a PhD without the crisis, we really had it easier than you. If you are now listening and doing this PhD, having four or five semesters of teaching in the Corona semester, of doing your research, of working remotely, of trying to understand what your scientific identity is and everything like that, it's, I get it, it was really hard. So how much energy do we still have to look into a future of work where you want to leap into? And the more you do your due diligence, 
the more you understand what the future of work will hold for a PhD like you, then this will be much more attractive and more inviting for you to leave. And that's why this episode is so important. So maybe you don't know this, but I want to share that with you, that for most of the people who are working in business, also white collar, that means all those creative, cognitive thinkers, workers who are not doing the groundwork in industry, who are not assembling things and etc. Even the white collar people are now afraid of artificial intelligence taking over, eating their jobs, right? And they are probably right in the sense that artificial intelligence, machine learning will take over a lot of chores that are tedious, repetitive, and do not require creative uh, creative problem solving, etc. And most of the people who are working aren't as capable of changing or adapting to a new situation because they probably have, you know, less of a horizon to to draw from, right? So with a PhD, you prove that you are probably having a higher general intelligence, which doesn't mean that you can't do stupid things, but it does mean that you are probably having the capability of thinking things through and to foresee, to predict, to analyze, to draw, I mean, to connect the dots, right? And that's an important skill. And I want to also dive into that in more detail, but I want to show you that you will have a better future of work than most of the most of the workers who aren't capable of changing of adapting. And did you know that I offer deep dive e-courses, workshops and memberships at graduate schools, maybe also at yours in the future? Ask your graduate school coordinator whether they want to book my services so that I can deliver them to you 24/7 365 on your mobile device. With a notepad in your hand, I want you to take stock of all your skills. And I hope that they will ring a bell that you have actually obtained them, earned them, honed them in your PhD. All right, so the top skills in 2025 are number one, analytical thinking and innovation. So. If you're not an analytical thinker, an innovator, I don't know. That's per se the definition of a scientist, right? We are researching and we are creating. Number two, active learning and learning strategies. I think that during your studies, you have consistently proven that you are able to learn and that you are able to create your own learning strategies. Otherwise, you wouldn't have kept up with everything that you have learned up to date. Number three, complex problem solving. All right, so who remembers all the experiments and all the variants and everything that you had to do to troubleshoot and everything? That is problem solving at its best. Okay, number four, critical thinking and analysis. Well, 
Of course, we cannot just digest whatever research and believe, and you know, we have to、um, test our hypothesis, and you know, we have to also reject false results or even fold our own hypothesis because number five, creativity, originality, and initiative, and I mean. You are the forward thinker, right? You have to come up with a, you know, new ideas. You have to draw from different disciplines to get up and do the experience in a different way, with a different protocol and everything like that. So this is you. Number six, leadership and social influence. Now, this is maybe something where you could. Put a question mark, but then again, I would strongly encourage you to think of where the situations where you were leading a bachelor student or your master student, were you teaching, were you you know having the task of guiding the intern or whatever in your lab, and that is all leadership, and. You don't do this just by things, you know, telling them and so. But you have to have social influence. People aren't, people don't like to be told. They want to be led, and that's via social influence. Okay, number seven. Technology use, monitoring, and control. And I bet that if you are a PhD in, you know, in STEM, then you are probably using all your tech. To do the experience, to monitor and to control—that's quite the easiest thing for the STEM PhDs. For the humanity PhDs, you might even think of maybe you do SciComm, and then for SciComm, you are using、um, different apps to create your、um, visuals, to create whatever it is. So, if you have the option to use technology or like.、Um, Max QDA for analyzing your qualitative interviews and something like that. Now the eighth skill is something that probably not most of you have, which is technology design and programming or coding. And like I said earlier in my previous episodes, I would strongly encourage you to, if you have the opportunity, to code your own experience. If you're not in STEM, that's probably hard to do. But if you have the opportunity, that's really a great learning curve that you can have. Number nine is something that you all have as PhDs. Like I said in the introduction, the skill that you have developed throughout the whole crisis up to date is number nine: resilience, stress tolerance, and flexibility. I mean, who if not you? And number ten is reasoning and ideation, and again, that's absolute one of our strongest virtues as scientists and researchers. So that does sound promising, right? And now it's time to thank Company ABC, who sponsors this episode of the Postdoc Transformation Show. I would now be reading the company's answers to one of six bold questions, so that you can choose to apply. For example, number one: Describe your most valuable experts versus leaders in your company. Have they typically earned a doctor title? Or number two: For which of your company roles or units do you encourage somebody with a doctor title to apply? Number three. 
How would you describe your organizational culture in which your most valuable experts and leaders thrive in? To nominate an employer of choice so that we can ask our informative, bold questions, click on the link in the show notes. And now, back to the Post of Transformation episode. And maybe now you're thinking, where did I get all these skills? And I put in the show notes all the links to all these resources so that you can look them up for yourself. And I also looked into an article that um, reported the four most in-demand digital skills in job ads as of today, right? So that's number one. Very less surprising, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Well, if you're not a PhD student in IT, well, that's probably out of reach. Okay, I get it. Number two is probably also out of reach, which is cloud computing. I mean, even I, um, as a person who would identify as IT affine, wouldn't go into that. But you could maybe go into user experience or something like that. Um, design in the AI, ML, cloud computing area, okay? But I, I wouldn't do the hard coding. But number three and number four are the ones that are probably very promising for you because these are product management, number three, and for me, absolutely surprising to, to be honest, is number four, social media. So let's talk about the less surprising thing. So product managers are the ones who are at the spoke, no, at the, at the hub. And the spokes are all going into different directions like sales, operations, marketing, development, architecture, and stuff like that. So when a product is developed in the pipeline and needs to be marketed, then the product manager is the one who has all the ties in his hand or her hand or its hand, right? So that's a person who needs to be highly approachable, relatable for all these different disciplines or, you know, units, functions within a company and also needs to have a big vision and also um, the ability to manage the whole project of developing a new product and marketing it into the to the people who will be the customers, right? So that's essentially a huge interdisciplinary role. And it takes someone who is essentially having all these top skills that we have just um, listed, right? So I can see that I've seen I've worked with people like that. And most of them are really intelligent. And that's why I think that's a great thing for you. So number four is social media. And um, to be honest, when I looked at the data in that article, which I will link also in the show notes, you can see that um, it, it's a digital, more conceptual, more strategic approach of social media. It's not the social media manager or executive who does the, the, the creative canva and something like that. But it's more like the person who is like the conductor of a social media campaign or who is the conductor of how can you get the sentiment of the customer clients and so on. So it's more like um, very strategic. And then I can 
I can relate to that again. So the last skills that are sought after in so many job ads across the board are digitally driven skills. All right. So that's important for you to if you if you say that you don't have any transferable skills, then this is the best direction I can tell you. Okay. So you can if you if you if you truly don't have any transferable monetizable skills, then look into developing skills into that direction. Because what are the benefits of adopting in-demand skills? Number one, more earnings. Okay, so people who pick up these jobs will have a higher base salary, will have a better bonus based on the performance, will have a better chance and opportunity. That's the second one. Opportunities to thrive and to be promoted. And if you are laid off, then they have a better chance to pick up a new job in that industry as a competitor because there are many thriving competitors, right? So that's why it's so important for you to adopt the in-demand skills. So that actually ties back to the four skills that I mentioned in the job ads, right? And all these benefits, the two ones, the more earnings and also the opportunities, they are valid from the career start to end. Okay, so the first leap will determine your ability to leap again and again and again. If you're going in the wrong direction, or in a, in a direction where it's not so much opportunity, where there are not so much opportunities, then you will probably have a hard time to again leap into the right direction. And that's why it's so important for you to think about it now when you are still tabula rasa, right? So when it's still open and not already limited because you have leaped, from a PhD into an industry postdoc, and now you have to explain why you should and want to go to industry business without research tasks, because everyone would think like, yeah, but why did you go into a postdoc with industry, um, you know, relevance, but not just jump into a business role absolutely without ties to research? So then you have a different story that you have to explain and to convince other people. So that's why I'm saying it's easier now that you have a PhD to leap into that direction that is most promising. And once you have determined your readiness to leap and you think, yes, this is the way forward. I want to transition into business or industries. Then you can, if you like, Enroll in your free email course with 10 actionable, bingeable email lessons until you start your job in business. You'll get 10 emails that detail, number one, how to leap out of science, number two, how to build your sustainable LinkedIn profile, number three, how to read social media and network, Number four, how to research your favorite jobs and employers. Number five, how to do information interviews to get insights. Number six, how to create your customized applications. Number seven, how to prepare your thesis from a business point of view. 
Number eight, how to apply to your favorite employers. Number nine, how to choose the right job offer. And number ten, how to prepare for your new job. Woohoo! And all of these previous skills are the ones who you can do also without a leadership position. Okay, you could do them also as a leader, but. I would strongly encourage you to leap into a role without leadership responsibilities. Why? Well, because even if you have, you know, leadership capabilities, because you have proven them via teaching, and you have proven them because you have the responsibility of leading a be a master student or a bachelor student in his or her or its thesis. That's fine. The thing is that you do have talent. Okay, but. When you leap into business, then the whole context is totally different. And to be a leader in business or industries, you also have to have business acumen. Okay, so business acumen is something that I seldomly see being trained at graduate school. We have all the skills that we have just discussed. Yes, but business acumen. And the ability to make the right, you know, to derive the best business model, to think of、um, <clears throat> alternatives to respond, and and everything like that is really something that we probably lack. And I don't want you to put you into a position of you have to then lead people based on your transferable and monetizable skills, but you are lacking the context, the 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 ability to put the. In the right context of business, and that's why、um, the following skills you can sort of like note for the future. All right, and maybe you just revisit this episode, maybe in two or three years, when you have more experience under your belt, and you can be promoted to become a leader, because the leadership skills in demand today are number one. The ability to nurture talent—that is, younger talents, right? People who are in in a different younger generation than you. Most of the people who are leaders today are in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and they had trouble to connect and to work and to lead with the younger generations because there was such a disconnect in terms of digital capabilities. Um, communication skills,、uh, remote, working from home, trust, and all of that.、Um, most of the leaders had trouble to present themselves remotely in a way that was convincing and inspiring and aspirational for the young talents. And that's why it's so imminent for today's leaders to nurture talent, and these talents. They have a different value than most of the older generations. So, younger generations want purpose. They want to make the right thing and not just the make things right, right, the right way. So,、um, so leaders need to offer purpose. And number three is and that's why it's so digital. Leaders need to be able to personalize the digital experience. All right. So, I mean, digital. Solutions are going nowhere. Instead, they will be 
expanded in all areas of business and working in industries and everything. And the ability as a leader to personalize that digital experience to lead from far beyond to all the different places in a global company, across different time zones, in a way that they the the people you are leading that they will want to follow you that remember the social influence that they are influenced positively towards the towards reaching the company goals that's an important leadership skill and you don't have to have it at the moment but if you do have it already then this will be probably be very helpful for you to be promoted to become a leader after two or three years in your new position in business Hey, have you found this episode so far helpful for yourself? Well, maybe you can subscribe and also share this episode with your PhD bestie because that would encourage us to help the underprivileged, underrepresented and underserved early career scientists leaping into business. And now back to the show. And now you're probably waiting for the industries where you should be employed because these are the ones who will that will be thriving in the future. Well, here we go. Okay, so industry number one is biotechnology. And again, to remind you, look into the show notes so that you can um, check that for yourself. Okay, number one, biotechnology. Number two, artificial intelligence, especially, and I add that, especially language processing natural language processing is the one that is chat gpt from open ai or um, google has also barred and um, there's also a chinese one that is upcoming now so it really is um, that is not upcoming it's been long in the making but they will publish that soon and all of that is a no-brainer right so biotechnology, obviously, for um, individualized medication, therapy, um, vaccines, something like that. Number three, and that's probably something where you can have user um, experience, user design, um, design, something like that. That is number three, home technology. And everything that you need to make your home more convenient and stuff like that, more connected and stuff like that. Number four, on-demand services. Well, you probably know all these streaming services, right? You're probably listening to this podcast via Spotify or another podcast app like Podbean or Netflix or whatever it is, right? So on-demand services are the ones who make the individual experience come to life. Then number five, which is green energy. So obviously all the energy companies had had their best years ever, especially during um, or yeah, during the, the war, right? So they had but but they also had a lot of write-offs. And that's why I would if you go into the energy sector, go to the ones who um, who are developing green energy opportunities. Okay, number six, healthcare. Obviously, with an aging population in most parts of the world, healthcare is something, well, I mean, so needed, right? So we've got a healthcare crisis. People who are working in healthcare, who are doing the frontline work of 
caring for the patients can't do this anymore, don't want to do this, are less paid. And we have to find technology that can then help to ameliorate this situation. <clears throat> Sorry. And then we have pharmaceuticals. And again, that's the same like um, biotechnology, but pharmaceuticals, again, um, a different avenue, but obviously also very promising. Um, very related is number seven, that's telemedicine, right? So especially in areas where you cannot go because there's so the, the distances are so far away or there are very few people living out there you probably can't a country cannot afford to have um full medication full uh, hospital equipment and infrastructure um at every every place and that's why telemedicine will be important and also we have the ability then to get the right experts to to do the diagnostics and something like that but also even surgery and then number nine uh, number eight sorry is cybersecurity. again i think that is a little bit far away for uh, for most of the phds i know it's that except you are a phd in it and then nine, number nine cloud computing again a little bit far away and number 10 internet of things well that sounds maybe maybe far away but again that is not so much far away if you look into the design of everyday things that you need to connect via the internet of things right so there are some um where i there are some touch points where i think that you don't need to have the it background to provide value in these industries and the 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 reason why i put this list together is because actually that title of the article was best industries to invest. Well, I know we are as PhD students, PhD candidates, as faculty members probably aren't rich, right? I mean, I think that's a no brainer. But I think that when you look at it from a perspective of stakeholders who have money and want to invest in industries that are probably in the future thriving, then this is the industry, these are the industries where you should want to work, where you want to be employed. And that's why I put this list together. And I hope that you found value in this episode. Remember, you will manage your postdoc transformation, but I also hope that you will now invest in your doctorate according to your vision of life. Thank you for listening. And until the next episode, bye-bye. Do you want the transcript of our episode and our episode sponsor's answers to all six bold questions so that you can choose to apply? Do you want to nominate your employer of choice so that we can ask them our bold questions? For all of that, check out our clickable links in our show notes. And on our website, www.postdoctransformation.com, you can also check your readiness to leap into business or enroll in our free email course, Career Transition Made Simple. Thanks for your attention. I'm Professor Dr. Elna Sui Winkles, the host of your weekly Postdoc Transformation Show. Postdoc Transformation, Postdoc Transformation, postdoc, transformation.